because when our blood sugar goes up and insulin goes up, our cortisol, our stress hormone goes with it. And when our insulin and adrenaline and cortisol is too high, we're sitting in that constant state of there's an emergency, there's something chasing me. And that's what's going to to drive our sadness, our anger, our frustration, and our sad brain chemistry. Hello, friend, and welcome to episode 39 of the Feeling Full podcast. I'm Mordecai, an entrepreneur and coach who struggled with being overweight for nearly two decades. But since 2012, I've lost 130 pounds and have kept it off. In today's conversation, you'll learn all about the impact sugar has on your brain and body and what you can do about it. Did you know that there's over 60 different names for sugar? Many brands are quite sneaky about how they label their packaging. It's quite confusing and refined sugar is in almost 70% of packaged products. Crazy, I know. Research shows sugar is more addictive than cocaine. So if you're struggling with what you're eating or how much of it, this could be why. Before we get into today's interview, I have a huge request. Doing a podcast is kind of a one-way street. I don't get much feedback. I don't know exactly who's listening or how much of it you're listening to. I'm not even sure if you're getting any value from these episodes. So if you hear this message, I'd be super appreciative if you can just take a second, open your email on your phone or computer, and choose an emoji, any emoji, and email it to me at m at feelingfull.com. And you don't need to include anything else, unless of course you want to, but just Shoot me an email at mfeelingfull.com and I'll also drop the email address in the show notes. And yeah, that's going to be really awesome to, to see what emojis you pick and what you send. I'm excited for that. Thank you. Alrighty, so today my guest is Julie Donalock. Julie is a nutritionist and TV personality. She just released her fourth book called Becoming Sugar Free. When Julie was a kid, she was acting out. She was disturbing the class, being that quote-unquote bad kid, and teachers called her names and mistreated her, and she didn't really understand why, but she knew something was up. Eventually, she was diagnosed with ADHD, and her mom took an unconventional approach, especially for the time in the 1970s, taking her off with refined sugars and food coloring, and within a couple weeks, it's changed her life. I don't know about you, but when I eat sugar as an adult, I go batshit crazy, so I can rarely have sugar. I, I can't focus. I can't think straight. I need more sugar. Anyways, that's for another time. But in our conversation today, Julie shares her five-step process to help you choose which sugars and sweeteners are good for your body and which you should really stay away from, and ways that you can get kids to eat healthier snacks without making them feel bad and making them feel good about their choices. All right, so listening to this podcast or listening to any podcast with information like this is great. You get solid information, but unless you actually take action, nothing actually changes. It may feel nice, but taking action, even a tiny action, is what really is going to help you improve your health. So I want to share what I'm calling a weight loss tip, something that helps me that I've discovered in my journey, and it maybe will help you too. I'm calling this one Grazy List. I know it's cheesy, Grazy List, but I call it Grazy List because it's something that I do some. I found myself doing when I eat food. If you're preparing a meal right before you sit down to eat, put everything away in the fridge or wherever it came from. This way, once you're done with your meal, you don't mosey back into the kitchen and graze when you're cleaning up or doing things or putting things away, right? A lot of times we may eat more just because it's out there on the counter and we're not even hungry, right? We snack because it's just there. So by putting it away before you sit down to have your meal, that is going to create more spaciousness. And even if you want more food afterwards and you want another portion, you can go back and take it out of the fridge, take it out of wherever it came from, but just creating that space and that awareness, you're often going to find yourself eating less than you would otherwise. This has really helped me, so I wanted to share it with you. Alrighty, thanks for joining. Let's jump right in. Julie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you today. Mordecai, it's an honor. Thank you. Thank you for, for thinking to interview me. I, yeah. I know that you are awesome at what you do, so I'm stoked. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this interview, and I discovered you, and I saw your passion for sugar, inflammation, weight loss, these topics that I'm really passionate about. And I saw, I really resonated with your authenticity and your approach. Well, thank you. And um, I really wanted to have you on the show. Awesome. Yes. Let's get into it. <laughs> yes. So let's, I, w- I love to start, you know, I saw an Instagram post that you had on your, on your Instagram feed about a story um, when you were a little girl, uh, how ADHD was a big problem for you and people were really worried and your mom addressed it back then, probably in a very revolutionary way, which a lot of people weren't addressing it. So I'd love for you just to take me back to what was your Mm -hmm. earliest memory as a kid 
struggling with ADHD? I remember um, literally eating candy on the on the playground and then going back into class and being uncontrollable. And I remember like thinking to myself, you know, the teacher is really upset by you right now. Why can't you stop spinning? Why can't you stop hitting the rad? Why can't like, like I had this conscious moment of what's wrong with me that I can't stop. And I remember birthday parties where my mom would give me pink cake as per usual. And I would start crying within 30 minutes because my brain just was so intolerant to white sugar and it caused terrible mood problems. So I would go from a happy kid to just raging, flying out of control, being unconsolable. And thank goodness they found the work of Dr. Feingold, who really pioneered this belief that you have to get your kid off artificial foods. And mom went one step further and realized I was sucrose intolerant. I was intolerant to sugar. And so when she got me off that, my grades went from D's to A's. I calmed down. I stopped crying. I just became a really happy person. I want to interrupt you just for a second. It's really interesting to me that you actually remember the moments of like, you know, hitting the rod on the playground and, and thinking to yourself why you couldn't stop. And I just think about all the kids that are, you know, eating sugar now and feeling out of control because I was, you know, I was very similar to you where I was doing all these things too, out of completely out of control. And, you know, I was punished and ridiculed and detention and, you know, expelled and all these things because I, I felt like that as well. I'm curious as a kid, what was your, what, like, if you get into the experience a bit more, what were you feeling? And yeah, just a little bit about that would be helpful. I just felt so stupid and mm. I was being told I was stupid by certain teachers. So I'll never forget. I had a teacher who actually pushed me and now it would be seen as abuse and screamed at me that I would be a janitor when I grew up. And like, I just want to go on the record as saying like one of the most intelligent people in all of America is a janitor. Like it does not qualify you. But at that time I made that mean that I couldn't possibly succeed and that I was stupid and I've had to fight that my whole life. And that's why when we first got on before we started recording and you were very, you know, very complimentary, it's not lost on me what it's taken for me to accept that I was not my early childhood experience. And I just want to send love to anyone out there who's struggling with negative self-talk because that's what disappears when you balance your neurochemistry. A big piece of that self-loathing can come from the fact that your brain is inflamed. It, it drives anxiety. It, it drives depression. And even there's recent research that's right in my book that, that shows it even drives bipolar disorder symptoms. So I think it's really amazing that we now know this and can write the course. Well, I love the fact that you're able to recall those memories as a kid and what it's like for all the people who are struggling. And then what did your mom, talk about a little bit about what your mom did. Sure. So my mom actually realized that I, she needed to get rid of all sources of sugar that were refined. So she actually started to make me treats out of, out of raw honey, because it turns out the honey is pre-digested by a bee. And by digesting it, it actually helps a great deal a person who has a sucrose intolerance. If, if you're intolerant to sugar, you often handle honey better because it's broken down already. So your body can handle it because it's not that double sugar that's bothering your system. So that you, you have these disaccharides that are like lactose, sucrose. Those are actually two sugars that your body needs to spit out an enzyme to break down. So thank goodness she knew to just switch me off of refined sugar to more natural sugars. And she took me off the big, bad, like red dye, yellow dye, otherwise known as tartrazine. BHT, which is a preservative, MSG, which most of us know is like a flavor enhancer. When she took me off that refined food, literally took two weeks and all of a sudden I could sleep because I actually was extremely sleep deprived. I was a terrible insomniac from zero to seven. So all of a sudden I could sleep again and I stopped crying. I stopped having tantrums and my grades dramatically improved all within this choice that my mom made with my dad to take me off artificial and highly refined foods. So it was quite a miracle. And I'm so grateful to them because I think I owe my ability to write the fact that I've written four books and had a TV show and all those things. I see 
as the sacrifice that they made early on to get me off of refined food. That's amazing that your parents, you know, had the ability to do that. Like the, and I'm curious, like as a kid, was it hard for you? It was, and I had a couple times cheating, but I, I'm not going to lie. I I ended up feeling so poorly that I realized that I could have natural treats that wouldn't make me feel crummy. So that was a real epiphany for me to be seven years old and go, wow, I actually feel better on mom's fudge that she made me from like nut butter and raw honey. That feels better and it tastes great. So I kind of started to, to really comply. But then my 14-year-old self made an appearance when I hit 14. So I was really clean for about seven years. I started to work in a tuck shop and I was handing out brownies and cheesies and chocolate milk to all the other kids. And I really rebelled. I really said, screw it. I want to eat whatever I wanted to eat. And my PMS went through the roof. My skin broke out. I gained weight. I felt absolutely horrendous. My grays started to tank. And so I started to have this fight with myself where I was on the wagon, and I'm sure you know this, on the diet wagon, or I was a free-flowing, crazy, binging nightmare. There was no in-between. There was, there was no really healthy path. It was either all binge or all diet. And that was so harmful. And that continued into my 20s, doing a lot of damage to my stomach. Because I would eat until I, could, I would just lose my cookies, literally. And it was a very dark time in my life when I, I just couldn't get a handle on it. And I realized then I needed to actually address it emotionally. And that's why in my book, Becoming Sugar-Free, we address the 50 ways to leave those sugar cravings behind from an emotional perspective, because you've got to know how to break up with it emotionally as well as physically. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful point. And also like it's amazing that when you were 14 or 15 your environment changed. So you were working in this shop now with all these, you know, kids that you were serving this food to. It's a fascinating thing, but now you're around it all the time and I bet it was much more triggering. Extremely triggering. And then I had some hardships at home and I started to realize that my binge was one thing I could choose. So I don't know if you've ever been there, but you know, some people choose drugs and some people choose gambling and we chose food. That was our way of coping. And instead of beating ourselves up, we can go, well, that was the tool I had at the time. And then we found better tools as we got older. And so I look back at that little girl who was binging, binging, binging. And I said, you know, gosh, I'm sorry that life was really hard for you. And you felt like you needed to disappear by eating so much sugar that you couldn't even think straight. So it was really a, a one way of completely blanking out. It was my drug of choice. And I'm sure you may relate to that. Yeah. I mean, I used to stack in the sugar, all the sugar, all the sugar foods for, for a long, long time. And I feel like you're always chasing a dragon with sugar, kind of like with other drugs, right? You eat a cookie, you know, you're going to be good until the next cookie. You know, you eat, you know, you're, you're good for 30 minutes till the crash and then you have a coffee or a caffeinated beverage to get you back up, you know, cause yeah. the insulin spikes and crashes so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So true. And I, I find that's a big part of my healing process was understanding that sugar only solved my problem for five, the five minutes that I was eating it where the other coping tools in my life that I developed could solve it long-term. And I could feel comfortable in my own skin. And the biggest piece is the self-loathing could disappear because, uh, you know, it's vulnerable to talk about self-loathing, but it's something that I wish people could feel what it's like to not have that extreme negative self-talk, to just snap my fingers and have you be in a body with a brain that's not inflamed and for you to get a sense of how powerful it is when you start to say, you know what, I have something to contribute and I'm good at this or this. Wow. Instead of, but I did that wrong. And that conversation went poorly. And you have you ever like stood in the mirror, like rehearsing the horrible things that have been said to you and you're saying to other people because you just can't stop the mental chatter. And that's what you can get free of. So, so what's happening in our brains when we're consuming um, refined sugars and like cane sugar, you know, or syrups, corn syrup? So we create a lot of uric acid 
And if you think of uric acid, uric acid is what drives gout. It's what really is causing a lot of pain in our body. And unfortunately, when it gets very high in the brain, it can cause a lot of neuroinflammation or literally brain inflammation. And in that state is when we can have a real shortage of positive neurochemistry. So we can end up really being shorted uh, what we absolutely need because serotonin, 90, over 90% of our feel-good hormone serotonin is actually made in the gut lining. So when we have a lot of sugar, sugar also drives the production or the feeding of negative yeast and bacteria. And that causes really negative signals to the brain via the vagus nerve. So when we're in fight or flight, one thing that sugar does to us is it puts us in a profound state of fight or flight because our insulin was never meant to be that high. If we can think back to 200,000 years ago, it was extremely rare to come across Maybe you could come across some dates or on a tree, you know, or maybe you could knock over a honey hive and like steal some honey like once a year. But let's face it, our food was bound in fiber and things trickled into us so slowly that we didn't have these enormous spikes of personal blood sugar. And that's why our digestive system ends up riddled with negative yeast is between the antibiotics that were being given to treat infection. And then the foods that feed the negative yeast, we end up with a terrible nightmare of mad, the, 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 I should say the, the bad microbes that make us mad. And that's a big mechanism is the gut. And then we also have the direct inflammation of the brain and the, and that one, two hit is causing us to have very negative thoughts and to really drive sadness. I mean, there's great studies showing how kids who actually are serving time in uh, juvenile disciplinary settings have far less outbursts, far less gang fights when the entire actual facility is put on a holistic diet. I think that's mind blowing that that, that research wow. has actually been done. So we're seeing like a complete shift in behavior, a calming, because we're just constantly put in fight or flight by jamming our blood sugar too high. Because when our blood sugar goes up and insulin goes up, our cortisol, our stress hormone goes with it. And when our insulin and adrenaline and cortisol is too high, we're sitting in that constant state of there's an emergency, there's something chasing me. And that's what's going to, to drive our sadness, our anger, our frustration, and our sad brain chemistry. So the brain actually gets inflamed. So mm -hmm. is that, like, that kind of like when you break your finger, it gets swollen? The brain's actually getting swollen? Yes, absolutely. With, so sugar is making the brain get swollen. That's just yes. like, I mean. Well, I mean, we shouldn't use necessarily the word swollen, but remember there's five symptoms. There's actually five symptoms of inflammation. Right. And they are redness, heat, swelling, pain, and loss of function. And that loss of function is the one that we all ignore. We don't realize a person has an inflamed heart until it stops, it stops beating for the first time. And then we all rush in and rally to have that person be saved from a heart attack. And then we open them up and realize, oh my goodness, they've been terribly inflamed and they're horribly plaqued up. Similar things are happening in the brain, unfortunately, where we don't realize that inflammation is driving ADHD, is driving depression. And this is all in hard science. It's all in the book. It's all well-referenced that we, we actually have tremendous loss of function. I just wrote in my last newsletter a huge amount on the fact that children are having huge hits in their memory, huge hits in their, in their attention potential because of brain inflammation caused directly by their blood sugar being too high. And if it's too high for too long, we can end up with type three diabetes, which is what's the main driver of dementia as we get older. So we have ADHD as a young person, we have depression in midlife, and then we end up with dementia as we get older. But they're all card-carrying symptoms of your blood sugar running too high for too long. Wow. So those are the long-term impacts and there's the short-term impacts, which is like, I don't know, you know, when I used to have sugar, I couldn't focus. Like I would lose complete, I couldn't think, I couldn't think straight. You know, it's like you eat, you have sugar and all of a sudden you can't have a conversation. Yes, you got it. And that's a norm for a lot of people. Yes. And then you put a device in their hand that's triggering dopamine constantly. Like we, we see with our, our smartphones and you can imagine how a person is just 
stepping on their dopamine constantly until their dopamine receptors in their brain are just not that receptive. And therefore, we need bigger and bigger exaggerated hits to have any sense of reward. And that's why sugar is so, so slippery and so problematic because you know, you having a cookie stops working. So then you need four and five and six. And then I got up to a whole bag. I could eat an entire mm. bag of cookies and a whole pint of ice cream made into chip witches watching a movie. And I would finish a 3000 calorie binge. That's how much I needed dopamine. Me and you both. Me and you both. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. So do you think it's a, do you think it's all or nothing type of situation with sugar? No, I think that, you know, a lot of people are concerned because the book's called Becoming Sugar-Free. And I'll be saying, because it's a time-space continuum and you're moving towards it, but not everyone needs to be on a strict ketogenic diet. I only suggest a low-carb plan for people who are profoundly inflamed, have severe symptoms and need relief now. But most of us just need to dramatically cut down on the bad refined sugars but they can still have sweetness. We can move to raw honey or dates or mesquite or lacuma or any number of the delicious sugar, sugar reduced balanced sweeteners in my book that do provide natural sugars, quote unquote, but they're bound in fiber. They're bound in vitamin Bs that help your body metabolize it correctly so that it stops being inflammatory. That's fascinating. So the healthy sugars don't impact your brain and your negative yeast in your body as much as regular sugars do. Is that right? Some of them fight yeast. So we now know that raw honey actually is antifungal. So it's good for you. So it's good for you. And especially people who have a lot of negative bacteria and yeast in their body, they can have some of that as a treat on their healing program and have no not see any negative effects. I have so many amazing clients right now that are like, Julie, I, I can't believe that my anxiety is gone. It's just gone. Like, where did it go? And I didn't know what I could feel like. I thought it was part of my innate personality. I was just an anxious person. And I love it when they say, Julie, it actually wasn't me. And if anyone's out there and who's like, huh, you mean I don't have to feel this way? I just encourage them to try it on. And just give it a month because it's really when you when you give it a try, you're amazed at you didn't know that you could feel that good. So I'm curious. So I, I, so for me, it's like it's 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 all or nothing, right? And I think mm. for a lot of people, resonate with that. And I'm wondering, are some some I know there's some people are more sensitive than others for sugar, right? I mean, if I have a little bit of sugar, it's very hard to control myself to not have more. Right. Like I feel very much out of control, and some sure. people have one bite of a donut or one cookie and you, you know, as a, you know, someone like me, I'm like, I'm angry (laughs) with that person. I go, how do you have one bite of a cookie or one bite of a donut? And, you know, or like a little bit of an ice cream and put the rest in the freezer. Like, I don't think I've ever put like a pint of ice cream back in the freezer to finish it later or another day. If I was eating it, I was going to go for the whole thing. I didn't, it wasn't, it's not even something, something I would think about. And I'm wondering, is that because I'm super sensitive to sugar and other people are not? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, very similar to alcohol. Like there are genes, certain people are very sensitive to alcohol and they just really innately, once they try alcohol, become an alcoholic and very similar. You and I are very sensitive to sugar. And therefore, if we have even a little bit, it's like opening a dam and it just floods us. Right. So that's why I'll be honest. I have been truly sugar-free for 14 years because when I got married, I was really hurting my relationship with my negative PMS outbursts that were very harmful to my relationship. And I remember reading a study on my honeymoon because I love scientific research. And I was sitting there reading about how sugar ages the body, how it ages your brain and your heart. And I was like, oh my gosh, this sugar is horrendous. That's it. I'm becoming sugar-free. And I just declared it. And like an alcoholic... I have literally been a sugar addict in recovery for the last 14 years, and I've not put sugar across these lips intentionally. I've been occasionally poisoned in a restaurant, but I've never intentionally eaten sugar. And that's what worked for me. That's what I needed. And it sounds like you're with me, that when you are a compulsive eater and 
sugar is your drug of choice. You do have to shelve it and find other pleasures and find other ways of coping because that mechanism is broken and it leads you to extreme self-destruction. So now that we know that, we're like, well, you know, other people can have a glass of wine, but alcoholics can't. Similarly, you and I are like, well, other people can have a cookie, but you and I, we need to have a sugar-free cookie or forget it. <laughs> you know? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's so it's really that continuum. Where do you sit? Are you a true sugar addict? And that's why I've developed a sugar-free quiz, which I have on sugar-free, uh, becomingsugarfree.com, because I want to know, like, are you just sensitive to sugar? Are you intolerant to sugar? Like my body doesn't break down sucrose, so I really need to stay away from it. Or are you a full card carrying addict? And if you are, then there, we need to take evasive action to help you find substitutions. You need the methadone to heroin because to stay off of all pleasure for a lifetime doesn't work. Hmm. You need to have something pleasurable. And that's why I help people with the live it versus a diet because diets fail. They're prison. You're in food prison. And I need to help you have something livable where you're like, I love this. I'm comfortable. I have happy moments with food so that it's not such a restrictive thing. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating the tolerance that we all can have with different types of sugar and like learning learning that. And like, you know, for me, honey doesn't really affect me like, you know, dates do, but dates actually affect me pretty intensely. I love that. And that's why I also encourage people to wear just for two weeks, try on a continuous glucose monitor to know what sweeteners are bad for you personally. Because if you notice that, that the dates were jamming your blood sugar, they're off the menu. For somebody else, it's white, white rice. I met a client recently. She has any white rice and her blood sugar doubles. She's like, oh, because white rice becomes white sugar right in your mouth. So does white bread. So does potatoes, like white carbohydrates will break down to sugars extremely rapidly. We all have our own kryptonite and that's okay. We just need to know what is our kryptonite. And we put that in a little lead box and put it away. <laughs> and then we focus on all the other foods because there's a million delicious foods out there. We just have to discover them. So what's the process for somebody to actually, you know, get into the state of, you know, I guess becoming sober from sugar, like, or figuring out their own, their own sugar constitution, you know, it's yeah. like, what's, the, what's the process? The big process is number one, are you at the type of person who needs to jump in with both feet or you have something really profoundly severe going on for you? It was uh, obviously you had a large amount of food going in, you felt very out of control. So you felt like you had an addiction to refined carbohydrates. So you needed to get off of that, right? So if you're um, a fast person, I call this the fast breakup. Then we look at all, you, you named them 60 different types of sugar. And we say, okay, we're going to break up with all these different types of sugar. And we're going to really rest the system and rely heavily on sweeteners that do not have added calories. So we would look at things like monk fruit and stevia. Those are two of my favorites because they're all natural. They don't have negative side effects. There's a lot of good data on them. And we would enjoy that and we make delicious things out of that. And we would Not be honey. on a sugar-free. Uh, for people who really need to rest their personal blood sugar and for people who need to actually heal their metabolism because maybe they have type 2 diabetes or a serious brain trauma and they really need to heal from that, we actually would encourage them to break up with all sugars quickly and rest the system. But interesting you'd say that because I use honey as my methadone. So I say, if you're going to have a treat and you're, you're feeling like you're slipping, don't slip to sugar, slip to raw honey because it has a lot of nutrition and you may not be sensitive to it. So I really give that kind of break walls. We need the, the pylons and the crash, so to speak. And then for the other people who feel like, you know what, I just want to take this slowly. I'm a dip my toe in kind of person. Then that type of person, we just say, okay, we're going to get rid of the worst of the refined sugars. We're going to let go of the white refined sugar. We're going to let go of the, canes, the, the corn syrup and just leave those other healthy sweeteners in there. So the raw honey's in there all those really cool fruit-based sweeteners, right? Like my, my favorites are definitely like 
Are you tolerant to coconut sugar? Now, I can't tolerate it because it's sucrose, but some people can handle that. And there's a lot of nutrition in there. So that's why I give people two options is I need to know, are you a slow or a fast person? Because if you're a slow person, a slow breakup person, and you go fast, it's going to feel like a diet and you'll fall off it and say, done, can't do it. But if you go slowly and you have success and you're feeling better and better, hallelujah, mm. you've made a step forward. And that is better than dieting and falling off. I want you to get rid of the wagon analogy altogether. You're not on or off the wagon. You're on a live it. And that is evolving over time. And you're getting healthier and making awesome choices. Yeah. I think the idea of like really tuning into how you feel and how different sugars are making you feel is really and important. And it sounds like when you were a kid, seven or eight years old, that's what you were doing on some level. You were aware enough to know that you felt much better when you weren't consuming sugar, which is really interesting because I find as a kid, um, you know, I was talking to one of my sisters uh, yesterday about this and she was mentioning how her kids, when they have sugar, the way they act versus when they don't have sugar. And when there's like certain rules or restrictions around it, when they're able to have it, they just go bananas because it's like, it's completely allowed. How do you advise a parent as trying to help their kids with their relationship to sugar um, do that? So one thing my mom did is she really heavily involved me so that it wasn't like, you're going off sugar and you're going to do this and I'm the mom and you listen to me. There was actually a tremendous compassion of like, Julie, I think this is causing you pain. I think you're having... These crying fits are to do with the sugar. Do you like crying? No. Okay. Well, listen, we're going to try this, but I'm going to give you all these substitutions. And that's what saved my life. And that's what it's still my go-to. This morning, I knew I had a very important podcast. So instead of, of having carbohydrates, I went fat-fueled because I kick up my ketones and my brain's working awesomely. So I said, okay, my treat today is a bunch of macadamia nuts. I still need treats. Now those are $24 a pound. So I'm not going to lie. It's an, it's an expensive treat, but for me, it was like, yes, I still get my treat because without treats, the brain goes to, Oh, I'm being punished. And that's what children really are not responding to. So with kids, I'm like, we got to get the things they love in the house first, before you take away something, you got to put the good in. So you got to like find three or four recipes that they're absolutely in love with try on the cookies try on the puddings try on the the gummy bears like i have sugar-free gummy bears in the book trying on chocolate that's actually not chocolate it's actually a carob bar that tastes like a chocolate bar that doesn't have any caffeine so they're going to stay calm they can have it right before they go to bed like all these direct substitutions has the kid go oh i have treats and then we put it in really bright colored wrappers because honestly that's really important for a kid I remember how important it was that it was a treat that was that I could open, not stuck in an ugly plastic bag. And I'm made to feel embarrassed when I open my lunchbox in front of my friends. No, my friends were so turned on by my lunch. They were stealing my treats because mm. they had the same BS every day from their parents and their stuff tasted nasty. And I was opening up like a delicious almond butter fudge that my mom made from scratch. And the love that was there was so present that my friends wanted it, you know? So I believe it's possible. And I see the miracles. I see kids that are taken off of sugars and, you know, we're, we're seeing a rampant growth in unfortunate children with profound anxiety on the autism spectrum. I really encourage people to try getting them off of sugar because the change in their personality and a reduction in their symptoms is absolutely amazing. That is amazing. And it sounds like it's sugar, wheat, and possibly dairy as well. Dairy, uh, you can be just as intolerant to dairy because it's a double sugar. Lactose is, is actually glu uh, it's glucose and galactose combined together. And we need a lactase enzyme to split those. If you're missing lactase because you got the genetic card of not breaking down milk sugar, it's going to cause a major problem. And then we have neuroinflammation from certain proteins in food. So you might be allergic to the casein in dairy, which is the protein of dairy. You might be allergic to the gluten in bread. So not only are we dealing with the starches 
like the really, really strong starch in bread that breaks down into sugar instantly and spikes your blood sugar faster than table sugar. Bread breaks down faster than table sugar to increase your personal blood sugar, scarily enough. So between the sugars being a problem and the starches breaking down to sugars, then we also have those proteins, the the gluten and the casein causing neuroinflammation. And that's why I'm not going to lie. My books are all gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free. Because if we really let go of those three big, big three nasty inflammatory foods, most people see a reduction of their symptoms, no matter what inflammation they're fighting. And if I was listening to this podcast and thinking to myself, wow, if I remove those three things, that'll be amazing. But like, like we discussed earlier, over 70% of manufactured store products have sugar, some sort of sugar in them. And wheat is on almost every type of bread, pizza, car, you know, processed type of food like that. You know, it sounds like you need to have a lot of awareness around your food intake to actually navigate in those ways to avoid those three, the three products. I just want to say that back in 1977, when my mother took me off sugar, it was like climbing Everest. Okay. It was so difficult. My mother had to make everything. She churned my butter. She made me handmade like chocolate substitute from scratch. Now guys, I'm sorry, but it's like taking a bus up Machu Picchu. Like it is so easy to do this because there's a million substitutions that are readily available. If you use the symbol paleo as an example, like just look in the grocery store for paleo then automatically it should be free of cane sugar. It should be free of gluten. It should be free of dairy. Well, that's not true. Some paleo people do eat dairy, but it's so much easier to navigate the system now because health food stores are everywhere. There's a health food store inside of most stores. It's awesome. We now see just a flooded amount of cool products available in the freezer, available on the grocery shelves, And it's never been an easier time breaking up with inflammatory foods as it is today. Yeah, it's a a really good point. 1977, I think about today, how many more like cereal brands there are and how many more chocolate. So it's like, it kind of like, it kind of goes both ways. You know, that it's it's easier because it's more available. I get the point, but I think it's also so much more abundance and so much more widely accepted to eat processed food-like products. I think that that we are really having it now, at least loudly in the media, the honesty of the fact that sugar is the largest driver of inflammation. It drives eight out of the top 10 diseases. So we're, we're seeing an increase in, are you ready for the crazy list? Heart disease, cancer. We see an increase in type two diabetes, dementia, kidney disease, unbelievable amount of depression, anxiety, And we also see a big pop in ADHD. Like, wow. Now that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you need the science, it's all in my book, that this is a fait accompli, that sugar drives pain and inflammation. I I just feel that it's very difficult for us to pretend that it's harmless. Like, I think that's one thing that's coming up for me when I see the commercials. I'm hoping and praying that people are are now able to say, okay, we know we know that that is not ideal because you can't pretend, you can't go back to sleep once you've woken up to a certain degree. And I think it, there, the the communications coming in somewhere. Let us pray. Let us pray that this is all worth it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you, and I think it's crazy that like you know the way that companies and corporations are a lot of ma- like market like to, to kids you know through like you know tv or you know having having the healthy having not the healthy the, the unhealthy chocolate bars you know like just two feet above the ground in the grocery store so when kids walk by they grab it you know and they you know they say they want it and it's like it's it's so pushed onto us in a way which it feels unethical yes it is unethical and i think there will be a time when they can't do it, similar to when cigarette companies were not able to advertise, I'm praying that we get to a place where white refined sugar companies are not allowed to 
to make claims and and celebrate how much their product is fun. You know, let's look at a fast food companies and how much they literally say like, this is a happy meal, right? Your happy meal that drives kids to massive panic attacks. Yeah, no, sorry. It's, it's actually bizarre that they're allowed to make those false claims. Yeah, I'm with you there. I hope, I hope to the point where that actually happens. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're close. I think we're we're getting there as we see more and more science coming out without just looking at a study right now involving 8,000 people over 22 years showing that people who consume more than 67 grams of sugar a day, which is not a lot. That's like a pop. Some pops contain that much sugar actually have a 23% increased chance of developing serious depression. Like how do we Pretend that doesn't exist. Yeah. That's, that's mind-blowing. You know, I'm curious how you tell, how you have clients um, navigate the grocery store. Because for me, like, I am super obnoxious. Like, you know, I'll look at the, the hummus in the store and be like, oh, well, it's got citric acid. You know, this is going to affect me in some way or another. Or like locks has, you know, I was in the grocery store here in Hudson recently and I was, I asked a woman, I'm like, hey, do you have any locks? She's like, yeah, over here. I'm like, do you know if this one has sugar in it? She's like, why would locks ever have sugar? I'm like, uh, let's check and turn it over and it's got brown sugar inside. Like who puts brown sugar on like salmon locks? Just makes no sense. Like it's not necessary, right? But so how do you, like, unless you're really paying attention to the fine print, which is kind of crazy because a lot of products have many, many ingredients, how do you tell people to navigate that? I think a big thing is embracing health food stores, embracing the health food aisles within stores and having people, at one point or another, you do need to learn how to read a label. And you, you mentioned those 60 different forms of sugar. It's, it's definitely there. I just posted it on my Instagram feed. If you want to go find it for free. We'll make sure to link that so everyone yeah. can find that. Yeah, it's really important for us to know how to read a label. And therefore, we just make that discernment. And one thing that's so cool, because I actually was one of the, the people who helped start the non-GMO project, and that's a, another story. But I love how we learned that not choosing a product drives the company to change their ways. So by consistently not buying something, and you know, if you're willing to leave a message on their Facebook page and just say like, when are you going to come out with a sugar-free chocolate? And they get enough messages and they shift direction. And that's how it was amazing to see how many products went GMO, non-GMO project verified once we said, no, we won't carry your product because it contains genetically modified ingredients. We just need to do the same thing with sugar. We just need to say, sorry, I really need a sugar alternative. And we will see it. Yeah. Talking about chocolate, my friend just sent me yesterday a brand called Honey Mamas. Have you heard of her? Yes, I have. Yeah, it that's looks, really sweet. It looks amazing. It's like five ingredients. Yeah. None of it is, you know, it's got raw, raw honey in it. And I just hope that more companies start using raw honey in their products to sweeten it because it's just as delicious. It has yes. sweet, or, or dates, right? It just it tastes just as good. And it doesn't have all those products that are going to make your body inflamed and cause all these problems in our lives, yes. you know, and, and potentially diseases and hardship. So yes, it's wonderful. I'm so honored and thrilled to see so many great companies popping up and right on it, it says no added sugar. And you're like, yay. So we can celebrate that instead mm. of focusing on, oh, it's so hard. I'm there here to say, guys, I've been around it. I've been, I've been sugar-free for thir- like 30 years on and off and then 14 years hardcore. It has never been easier. Now is your chance to mm. feel awesome. <laughs> Love that. Love that. This is a, been a really profound interview because I think sugar is something that a lot of people are struggling with that are, that are listening to this podcast. Yeah. So I just want to wrap up with two questions for you. One, which I like to ask everybody and one um, I'm curious. So, so what is um, somebody listening? What's one takeaway that you want to leave somebody listening with? Well, one thing we didn't really uh, explain is how sugar ages every cell of your body. So know that when, when sugar is too high, Unfortunately, when it can't be shuttled quickly inside the cell to be burned as energy, it creates something called advanced glycation end products. And the, and the acronym is funny. It's age. 
So sugar literally ages every single part of you. And when this these advanced glycation end products hit your eyes, it creates cataracts. When it hits your joints, it creates arthritis. When it hits your heart, it creates obviously uh, cardiovascular inflammation. When it hits your kidneys, it damages your nephrons and you start to lose kidney function over time. When it hits your skin, it actually cross links your, your collagen causing deep seated wrinkles. There's a great study that actually shows that women who eat sugar, who have a, a predominantly higher sugar diet, have uh, been proven to have deeper wrinkles than women who don't. So it just blows my mind that sugar literally from, from your hair to your toes is just absolutely aging you. And I hope that that really sits with people and going, wow, well, I don't want to age. You know, the average person wants to have good longevity and the fastest way, like out of every single thing you could ever do for yourself is to balance your personal blood sugar will help you live the longest, happiest life. Wow. That's beautiful. Sugar and aging. Who'd have, who'd have known? <laughs> That's, that's, that's really interesting. And just to follow up on that natural sweeteners, we're talking about like monk fruit and honey, those products won't impact your body like that, obviously. Well, monk fruit doesn't at all because it doesn't raise your personal blood sugar because there's no sugar in it. Honey is slower. It's lower on the glycemic index. It also doesn't require nearly the same metabolism because the fructose in the honey actually has to be spun through the liver before it's utilized. So know that it's, it's not nearly as damaging as regular sugar. So it's kind of a, a continuation. There's kind of that scale. And I show you that in my book, I actually show you like the green light sweeteners and the yellow light sweeteners, and then the red light sweeteners that are very dangerous. And so I kind of help you rate the sugars so that you can choose your own adventure. <laughs> I love that. Love that. Cool. Awesome. So the last question, which I love to ask everybody is what is one area of your life where you are feeling full in right now? I'm feeling full with love because my nephew just had a baby and that makes me a great aunt, which is shocking to me. And to hold a newborn baby and to have so much hope for that baby and to know the nutritional world he's being born into because my nephew is sugar-free and his partner's sugar-free. And just to know how good of a shot this little boy has at being happy makes me so happy that we've passed that baton down. And I'm just so honored to be filled with, with love right now because I know that we're living in a very isolated time. And I'm very, very grateful. I run a support group. If anyone ever needs extra support, I run a really powerful support group. And I'm so grateful to have those, those deep friendships within our support group because that's what we need right now. And that's what we're often eating. We're eating down a lot of, a lot of grief, a lot of loneliness, a lot of sadness right now. And that's why so many people have gained weight through the pandemic. And I just want to say like, what we really need is to fill our cup with friendship and love and connection. And when we reach out and we have that, sugar drops away. So I, I really want to leave people with that because I, I get, yeah, I, I know it. I've been, in, I've been in quarantine so hard that I never saw another person for 14 days. And I know that's that incredible isolation. And, and I want to be one of the bridges for you and, and, and to, to reach out through the computer and, and to at least be a listening and be present to people as we heal. Becoming sugar-free, becoming sugar-free, <laughs> becoming sugar-free.com. That's a, that's a great URL, a great name of your book. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited for others to read it and um, be able to get all that information. Um, I think it's going to be really powerful for a lot of people. And I'm curious about some of your programs. And you mentioned you have a support group. Um, you have, you know, three other books as well. How are some of the ways people can find you and get involved in the work that you're doing? Great. Thanks. I just my name at Julie Danlock takes you to most of my social media feeds and becoming sugar free is the book page. JulieDanlock.com takes you to my main page. And I just want to let people know, yeah, we have this amazing group called the Thrive Hive about thriving with the four pillars of longevity. So I started to do deep dives into why do people live past a hundred? How do we get there? And all people who, who live past 100 pretty much have four things in common. They move well, they have 
really good anti-inflammatory food choices. They have connection. They have deep community and they have purpose. So we have our support group built on those four pillars. And that's why I invite people to come join us there. But before that, you can just go take our quiz and then we'll let you know about the Becoming Sugar-Free program, which is coming up. We're putting our final touches on it right now, where it's a step-by-step process of helping people break up with sugar really powerfully, but also really addressing a lot of the emotional pieces that we need to solve to help us conquer things like sadness and anxiety that is really running the show as of late. So I I can't wait to bring that to people. So I hope people stay in touch. Yeah. Well, I'll link that in the show notes, um, your websites and info. And um, yeah, that program, I bet it's going to be really profound for a lot of people just to help break that cycle of, of sugar. And it's, and it's, and no, if you're listening, it's not something that's easy. I mean, it's, it's easier than it's ever been, like Julie said, but it's not the norm. You're going against it. You're going against the current, the natural current of the direction our food supply is going. So yes, it will take some effort. It's not as hard as it was and it's definitely worth it. So yes, every, every little bit you give it, it'll give you twice back in focus and happiness. So it's so worth it. I'm right with you. It's impacted me just like it's impacted you. And, you know, I feel so much freer without it than I did with it. So amazing. Hey, one more thing before we say goodbye. My goal is to make Feeling Full the best possible podcast you listen to. And I love your feedback. If you have comments, ideas for future shows, guests or topics, or just feedback in general, you can email me at mfeelingfull.com. You can also find out more about the show and all the past episodes at feelingfull.com. And if you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend or leave a review. Until the next episode, take care, be well, and feel full.